Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome back to 80s Wrestling, the podcast, a show dedicated to the golden era of professional wrestling, the 1980s. My name is Jumpin' Jay, and as always, I'm joined by the always wonderful Tommy Fierro. Tommy, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you, Jumpin' Jay? Listen, I'm doing very well, but a little birdie told me that maybe you are slightly under the weather, so I appreciate you. There are no days off in the world of professional wrestling, so I'm so <laughs> happy that you're, that you're here with me this morning. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little under the weather, and I wasn't going to do the, the podcast as I texted earlier this morning, but um, with, with callers calling, and hopefully we get on uh, uh, Travis in a second. If you want to switch over right now and try and get him on, and then we have a little technical difficulties real quick, so I'll talk for a second while you're trying to get them on. I couldn't, miss, I couldn't miss today's episode because growing up, I was a gigantic Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff fan. Now, I know I've mentioned on the podcast many times in the past that one of my favorite, it's probably my favorite all-time angle, and, you know, obviously there's a, a ton of huge ones uh, from the 80s, Hogan and Savage, Hogan and Andre. But for some reason, for me, what resonated with me, what still sticks to me to this day, is when I was a kid and I was at my aunt and uncle's house, there was a party, some kind of birthday party or holiday party or some, some kind of party, and everyone was outside in the backyard. And I remember I was in the house, and it was Saturday night, and it was Hulk Hogan, and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff teaming up against King Kong Bundy and Big John Studd. And the buildup leading up to this match the previous few weeks where, you know, Hogan couldn't get a hold of him and, or was vice versa. And then uh, they, they wrestled the Moondogs in a warm-up match. And just the whole angle, man, it just, it's still, I still remember it like it was yesterday because, you now for some weird reason, my aunt and uncle, they had all these, like, you know, like the, the, the mask, of the Ugandan African mask that Kamala would wear to the ring for his matches. Like, for some reason, they had a collection of these, these masks, and they're all hanging up in the living room. And it's freaking scary seeing all these crazy masks. And when Orndorff turned on Hulk Hogan, it was like literally time stood still for me as, as a young child watching this. And I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe what happened. And, and no one's in the room. I just remember looking around and seeing all these African masks hanging up as a child. So, first of all, I was scared shit from all these masks. But one of my favorites uh, of all time, uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Wonder, turned his back on Hulk Hogan. So, I, I couldn't miss the podcast day. And I believe we have Travis Wonder on now. Uh, the son of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, and uh, I'd like to get him on right now. Travis, welcome to 80s Wrestling on the Podcast. How are you doing, man? Tommy, what's up, brother? How are you this morning? Good, man. I'm, I'm really happy to get you on the podcast today, and Jumpin' Jay as well. We're going to talk all about the life and times of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Real cool, uh, a cool fact I want to let you know, real quick. I know I mentioned to you last week when I sent you a message. Uh, your dad, his actual last public autograph session was with me at 80s Wrestling Con in New Jersey a couple of years back uh, with uh, he came up with uh, Brian Blair obviously they're, they're best friends so it was such an honor and I've had your dad like three times throughout the years 
And he was always such a pleasure to have on the shows, and the fans always loved seeing him and meeting him. But first of all, man, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on today and talking about your dad. You know what? Any opportunity to talk about my dad uh, is uh, is an honor. Um, you know, and, and you know, really after he passed and, and and going through the grieving process and kind of you know reflecting on my life. You know, some of the things I didn't like about growing up that way, but you know, now being old enough and 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 maybe just a little bit wiser, uh, able to appreciate not only, um, you know, uh, uh, his legacy in wrestling, but the reality is, to your point, uh, the people he interacted with had such a great experience, uh, something that continues to come back to me and pay dividends, you know, through social media. People send me messages about times they met him, you know, both when he was a heel back in the 80s up until, you know, 2000, I think, 17 uh, was really when he was making his last, you know, appearance before he got uh, put in the hospital and was in and out for several years until I got custody of him. So, you know, it's an honor to be here. Uh, uh, happy to answer any questions that I can remember, uh, you know, to the best of my knowledge. And, uh, again, an honor to speak about my father. Well, Travis, this is uh, this is Jay here. And, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your, your schedule to talk to us. This is a show dedicated to people who loved 80s wrestling, that golden era of wrestling. And certainly one of the faces of this time period is your dad. And so the call line is already lit up. we got three people just waiting uh, to talk to you about the amazing career that your dad had. Just so our listeners can kind of get an idea um, of kind of what you were around for, just right off the top, can I ask what year you were born? Yeah, for sure. So I was, yeah, uh, so funny story. Uh, so I was born in May of 78 and uh, May 2nd, actually. And, and uh, so dad uh, came to the hospital that morning uh, or, you know, afternoon because um, I was actually born at 1, 2, 3, 4. I was born at 1234 p.m. And um, so uh, I thought I would never remember that if it wasn't one, two, three, four for the record. But uh, dad walked up to the, the, the nursery and he's there with Brian Blair because they had been on the road. Dad came in from, you know, the road with Brian. They're, they're in the, the nursing room. And, uh, you know, dad's like, which one's mine? And Brian looks at him and goes, well, that one looks like your face, but he's got a big old head of black hair. So that's probably uh, your, your, you know, because my grandfather had black hair. So uh, my, my, my dad's dad uh, had, like, black as night hair. So, uh, you know, it was funny. When I had black hair, people were like, you don't look like your dad. I'm like, well, he doesn't look like his dad either. So, you know, it was kind of a trade-off. But I was born in 78. So, you know, he went to WWF in the early 80s, really his run of 84 you know, on was, was probably, you know, easily the most popular year. So, you know, I was certainly around for those years. It was just a different experience because when I was young, he was so famous, we couldn't go anywhere. Um, and obviously with the heel. So when people did notice sure. him, they were either scared to death of him or they wanted to, you know, hurt him, you know, uh, and then there was the, you know, the, the casual fan, but you know, when I was 21, I asked him to take me out for, for a drink, and he didn't drink, so, you know, it was kind of a big deal, um, and I've since quit, but, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I asked him about all the scars he had on his head, you know, I thought I would get all these elaborate stories of, you know, rings and turnbuckles, and he's like, yeah, I was a grandmother in Louisiana and Shreveport, threw a dart in the ring, <laughs> you know, it was all these, yeah, and then, I'm, and then we went over to that lady's house, and she was a beekeeper, 
and the bee bit me and she took a snuff out of her mouth and put it on my bee sting. I mean, like that was the experience of wrestling when I was young was all this kind of craziness. Like when we were in Philadelphia, people know the story. My dude was during the heel run. Dad had turned on Hogan. And remember, we wrestled in different towns and it was the same match. So, you know, you might have seen it once on USA. I was on the road with him maybe two or three weeks, you know, you know, a couple times a year. And so we would be the same run. And I remember coming out of, you know, coming out of the, the ring and, you know, I'm really young, you know, six, seven, eight years old during this period. And, uh, you know, we leave and he's got a towel on his head and he's still wearing his tights and the ambulance takes us to the car and the, somebody tipped off the fans and they thought it was real. And, you know, they attack our car and try to tip it over and dad's holding mm. me down on the floorboard. So I remember that. And then, you know, I was, uh, you know, 20, 21 years old uh, when, you know, and I was working in downtown Atlanta when Dan was running the power plant. So I had that experience where I went and had lunch with him every day. You know, in fact, I just went to that restaurant we used to to go to last night with my own son. It's a sushi restaurant in Atlanta called Roussan's. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, that was, you know, I had those experiences where dad and I would meet up for lunch later in life when he was, you know, uh, training professional wrestlers, you know, and then even when he became a trainer in the mid nineties and was still, uh, uh, or, you know, wrestling in an agent, you know, I can remember seeing pictures of this guy, you might've heard of him. Uh, but at the time he had this gimmick called Paul Bunyan. So I'm sitting in my living, in my, you know, kitchen, looking at photos of wrestlers uh, that dad's either, you know, considering of signing or training, or, you know, da- they've asked him to recruit him. You'd know that guy now as gi- the giant, right? So hmm. I saw these guys before they ever became anybody you'd know. He had this Paul Bunyan gimmick. So that's how I got introduced to a lot of the wrestlers you know that got famous in the 2000s to 2010. So it was a really neat experience to have the life and, and, and the career progression my dad had, because I got to see the business from different angles, even if it was just from traveling. But yeah, I, ha- I had the opportunity to be there in the chaos, but I also got to go to lunch with him when he was just a trainer and it was a regular day at work. Listen, I can already tell from your opening spiel there that this is going to be a very interesting show because you definitely have a unique perspective on this era of wrestling that us fans never even knew was going on behind the scenes, but you had a front row seat to it. So I cannot wait to hear some more uh, from you. We're going to jump into some phone calls, Travis, because people are excited to talk to you. The first caller we have today is a longtime friend of the show, our good friend Tom from Parsippany, New Jersey. Good morning, Tom. You are live with Travis Orndorff. Good morning, guys. What a pleasure this is, and uh, hope everybody's doing hope well. Everybody's and Travis, doing well, and Travis. Travis, thank you for uh, joining us today. Joining us today. My, um, my, my, uh, my, some of my, some of my great memories with your dad. Uh, I, I grew up such a huge sports fan, and and uh, when I found out your dad was a running back for the University of Tampa, he got drafted by the Saints. Um, I, I said, wow, this guy, what a great athlete this guy was. And, and just, he seemed like a, just a, a great all around athlete. And also obviously growing up as a teenager, the, the feud with Hogan was amazing. And who could ever forget that? But one of the great things was when your dad turned on Hulk and then he came out and started using his theme song, I thought like that was like the greatest thing ever as a kid, because I never seen a wrestler do that. And I just thought that was fantastic. So, um, 
your 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 father was just a great great uh, wrestler, and he provided me with so many great memories. And um, just um, I just wanted to ask you. I mean, did you ever get a chance to? Uh, obviously, um, Dad was so much seemed like he was so much into uh, athletics and physical uh, uh, fitness and everything like that. Did did you go that way also? Were you into sports and everything like that? So, yeah, it's, it's funny you should say it, you know, and I, it's, I probably have never answered this question because I've gotten it, you know, asked, especially, you know, as I got older, you know, I'm a hundred, I, I graduated from high school. I was five, nine, 135 pounds, wet with heavy shoes on, on a good day. You know, uh, anytime yeah. I tackled a fullback in football, I probably was unconscious, semi-unconscious after the play. And, <laughs> and there's actually, there's a time when we were, I went to the small Christian school uh, and I tackled this kid on the sideline and it knocked me out. And dad's standing over me, and I'm literally flailing my arms. Like, two of the Tagalova has nothing on me at this point. And dad's like, get the F up off the floor, you know, and I get up. I don't have – and then they're filming me in the end zone because I also uh, kick field goals. They're filming me in the end zone asking about basketball practice. So, you know, I, I tried sports, um, but actually uh, when I was really young, uh, I got uh, extremely ill. I was uh, – so dad – Dad had me in uh, karate. He always wanted me to have discipline, um, and he wanted me to learn how to fight, but it, for, for him it was about the discipline of it. So working out was always about discipline, um, and, um, you know, Dad really was so far ahead of people speaking about his health and his diet and, and how he even perceived it, you know, his perspective on how his, his lifestyle was. Like he would tell me at a very young age, he's like, you know, the gym is my therapy that's where I release a lot of my anxiety. I'm like, things that, you know, you hear today in these self-help movements, I'm like, my dad was saying that back in the 80s. You know, he had figured out how how connected his body was to his mentality. Now, that didn't fix, you know, a lot of things for sure. But when I was nine years old, I uh, was about 86 pounds. And in about three weeks, I lost uh, 34 pounds. I went from 86 to 52 pounds and got diagnosed with uh, a nerve disorder. So once I lost that weight, um, uh, I had gotten so skinny, they used to call me uh, Ethiopian at school. Um, you could see my heartbeat through my chest. And, and so I got really sick, and it never I never really recovered from that damage and, and still had some lingering effects. I didn't really put on weight until I was, God, 30 is when I started finally really working out. But from a young age, even before that, I was extremely competitive um, and, and, you know, to the point of anger. And, um, you know, dad and mom knew that too. So they mm. did tailor a lot of my time and, and dad had the foresight, um, which, you know, thinking about this just blows my mind that he had the foresight with his upbringing to change how he raised me, you know, cause nobody taught him that. I, I don't know where he picked it up at. I don't know who he talked to that said, here's how you raise your son different than you were raised. But from a young age, um, I was put in private school. So I went to a Montessori school. Then I went to a private, uh, you know, two private schools and then graduated from a small private school. And, and dad really focused on education. So whenever it came to sports or, um, um, uh, you know, schoolwork, dad, I don't remember ever in my life me leaving a game like we would leave a football game and dad, dad would tell me stuff and I, I still don't believe him, but he would say, son, that's as good a catch as I ever made, which is a huge compliment. Right. Oh, but you know, he would say stuff like that, but the pride he had when I brought home good grades, well exceeded a, a thousand fold 
um, any athletic um, achievement I had, even at a young age. Now, when I got my black belt, we threw a party, right? But it was the discipline and the achievement. It wasn't the, you know, it wasn't so much about the reward. He always focused on all the hard work I put in and the time I put in, and 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 how you know we planted this seed back then and it grew here. So, but it was always about books, and 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 I can remember this, you know, because you know you try to live up to Mister Wonderful. And, and the way he did it, you're going to lose. There, he's the one and only. That doesn't mean I can't be Mr. Wonderful. It's just going to be a different version, and it's going to be that's my right. version. And that's the thing that he really helped me embrace. And, and I'll tell you, until he passed, I fought being his son. I didn't know that internally that I was doing that, but it would have been nice to be incognito a lot of my life. And, and you know, I had family members, and when they would get in trouble – you know, it'd show up in the paper, and it would say Orndorff this, and and you know, again, I would be lumped into a lot of that categories because of my dad's, you know, uh, infamy. So, you know, there was there was good and bad sides to it. But mm. I'll tell you, Bobby Heenan told me when I was really young, um, you know, uh, and I, he even reminded me when I saw him at the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, uh, you know, twenty years later. But we were where somebody, and, you know, everybody kept asking me, are you going to be a wrestler when you go up? And Bobby looked at me, and he's like, tell him no, because you can read. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, he was like, um, you know, you're educated. Yeah. You don't got to be a wrestler. Yeah. And he was like, why would you go do that? You can be a lawyer. Yeah, of course. Well, that's a great story. I also wondered the one question. I'll ask one more question before I leave. And I always remembered as a kid, there was a vignette that uh, the WWF did with your dad in a gym, and he was working out a bunch of uh, – you know, a bunch of uh, people in the gym yelling at him. I always thought that was great. Um, I know when he was feuding with Hogan, he injured his arm, his bicep, and he never had the proper surgery to let it heal. And, uh, and he, you know, obviously that never healed correctly or whatever because he was main eventing with Hogan at the time. Did, did Dad ever regret not, not, like, taking time off to let that heal properly, or what was the story with that? So here's what you got to let you guys go. Thank you so yeah, much, Travis. It, nice meeting you. And, and Tommy and Jay, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks, man. Thanks. So the short version to answer that question is Dad, Dad was injured. When he was injured, uh, you know, I've heard speculation. Dad told me what he speculated. I won't speculate because I think that would be irresponsible to blame somebody for an incident that you know, singularly happened that caused the damage that he had because he wrestled and played football for years. So to say one single incident was the, you know, it might've been the straw that broke the camel's back, no pun intended, but you know, it, the reality is we don't, we don't know for a fact when, how, or what happened. There, there's no factual evidence to any of it. But that being said, I think what you got to know is my dad, you know, was not like, you know, emotionally stable, even though he was a sweetheart, he was an amazing wrestler, but a lot of that anger, you know, carried out into his, you know, normal life and including his interactions with people. And so, you know, he could be, uh, and in fact, he said in his Hall of Fame speech, he was difficult to work with, especially during that period of time. So when he was injured, and, and, and remember, his entire gimmick in reality was his body. So I don't know that he had the foresight to reinvent himself in some ways if he had gotten the surgery because the thought of having a scar to him was the equivalent of death. I mean, I, and I'm not joking. So he didn't get the surgery because he didn't want a scar. Now, he also didn't believe he had the damage he did. You know, they warned him. But his other big fear back then was 
you know, and again, I, I, uh, I have a very similar injury to him. I have my right arm. It's mostly paralyzed. I have radial nerve palsy, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I had a, a very similar injury on my right arm. But me having surgery in 2013 is a heck of a lot different than the medical experts in 1996 or 1986 or 1990. You know, 1996 was when he finally had it done because he had no choice. And, and so dad was afraid of having surgery because I, I, you know, medically speaking, if you go back that long, I don't know that any of us would have signed up for it overnight on our back, you know? So there was, there was, there was multiple factors, but, um, you know, the conversation I had with him when he was really vulnerable and honest was, you know, he was hurt, he was tired, he wanted to be home. And the reality was, I don't think he could face Vince. I don't think he could face Vince and say, I'm hurt. And I need this because, and I'll go back, territory days were different. You didn't have like, it's not like now where you had contracts and long-term agreements. You know, in the territories, you could lose your job week over week or night overnight. And they held that over you. So that mentality carried with him to the WWF. I think if he had really communicated with Vince, and again, this is based on conversations him and I had over the years, including in 2005 when we went to the Hall of Fame, I think if he could go back, he would have gone in and had a conversation with Vince. And I believe wholeheartedly Vince would have taken care of him. But Dad wasn't in that mindset or framework, and he thought he had a solution with the bowling center, and he could just heal by not wrestling. And, you know, it didn't work out, and uh, it ended up different. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like you said, medical care back then was definitely different. Mindset even though your dad knew mind-body connection, take care of your body, it'll take care of your mind. Legitimate tough guy. And back then the stigma was you play through the pain, you play hurt. And so I'm sure he did what he felt was best for him at that time, hindsight being 2020. Maybe Vince would have given him the time necessary because Mr. Wonderful was a big-time player in the World Wrestling Federation at this time. And I would hope that Vince McMahon would know taking care of your talent will ultimately take care of the business. We're going to keep the phone calls coming in. Next up, we're flying to the West Coast to connect with good friend Babyface Brian from Chico, California. Good morning, Brian. You are live with Travis Orndorff. Hey, good morning, Jay. Good morning, Tommy. And uh, real pleasure to talk to you, Travis. Real pleasure. Hey, uh, uh, I've run a, a Twitter account called the uh, '80s Wrestling Fan, and I've uh, I've uh, talked to Tyler, who helps you out with the podcast on there, and may have talked to you as well. But uh, but basically, uh, I'm a huge fan of your dad. I've got my Mr. Wonderful shirt on as we speak. I uh, uh, Tyler reached out, wanted to know if he could put some of the pics of my uh, LJN figures and stuff on on uh, your Instagram page. Uh, quite a while back and uh and i sent in a uh a clip of uh a piper's pit where uh roddy was about to retire before wrestlemania 3 that you guys um used part of that clip on on your podcast and we haven't talked about your podcast but for those out there who haven't heard it um I, i'm pretty damn sure that travis works full-time and doesn't have a lot of time to do it but an amazing podcast an amazing concept where You've done four different shows so far, and I'm looking forward to more, where you speak to other kids of wrestlers, including uh, one of Roddy's daughters, uh, Tito Santana's daughter, Dynamite Kid's daughter, and uh, Eric Bischoff's son, and they're all well worth a listen. I want to compliment you on how how entertaining they are, but also how professional and, and, and the 
well done. You've done those shows. Um, are, so are you on the you job for... as a promoter? Are you on the be? I can make a phone call. I've got, I, you know, we Tyler and I are the, are a two man team at this point, so we can add a third for. <laughs> no, nah, Brian, hey, I any... appreciate, dude, you're you're too kind, and thank you for remembering all that because I never would have. So you are you're well, a blessing. Any... Any any help you guys need, uh, he can search through your uh, your Twitter DMs, and, and we spoke in the past. And anything I can help with, I'd love to, because I, I think it's wonderful that you're keeping the legacy of your dad alive. Um, you know, that it's a sad subject. It's been, you know, I was on vacation for the first time in years. It happened the day after uh, my birthday when I saw he had passed, and it, it's just something. It hit me in the gut. And, uh, you know, I lost my mom in 2013. Uh, oh. Tommy lost his father last year. Um, it's something that we all eventually go to go through. But until you've experienced it, losing a parent is it's just something that's life changing and will always stick with you. And so uh, you and Tommy and, and me and so many others out there that have been through it, um, it's not a club you want to be a part of. But, you know, I'm glad that you've come out stronger on the other side. I love that you're uh, carrying his legacy. So um, a couple questions that I have for you, uh, you know, I'm glad that uh, Jay asked how old you were because that's, that's what I kind of wondered. I suspected you a few years younger than me, and you are. I was born in 74. But um, at WrestleMania five or WrestleMania, the very first WrestleMania, in uh, 1985, you guys were probably in session, and all your buddies at school had to be, uh, you know, it had to be rough being the son of Mr. Wonderful. It must have been kind of a blessing in 86 when he switched back from babyface to heel, and that happened during the summertime. Unless you guys went year-round, at least you got a little reprieve of a few weeks before all the kids at school probably hit you hard about your dad turning on Hogan. So that would be one of the things I'd, I'd love to hear your stories about is if you had like a, a couple friends that you talked wrestling with, because happening during the summer, my best friend, we were all over that angle, kind of like uh, Tommy. That's basically my favorite feud of all time. And for those who don't know it, Hulk and, and Paul did, you know, Mr. Wonderful, they did more business on a house show circuit than anybody before or since as far as money. I think they missed it set records for, for box office draws. So uh, as, a, as the main primary heel of my childhood, what was it like when you got back to school that session and heard from all the kids around the playground? Were they trying to beat you up or, you know, was it, did you have some buddies that were, no, it's cool or what, what happened there? So here's, here's the irony of it. And, uh, you know, one of those, it's, it's funny cause I, you know, uh, sometimes when I think about my dad's career, sometimes, Things happened when I was 16 based on something that he did when I was five. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like I would, I, and I'll give you an example. So I had a friend named Sammy, and um, we, you know, so I played on rec league baseball, and you know, I was in karate, and I was, you know, then uh, played, you know, the intramural sports at school and all that stuff. So, you know, there, even if I was out of school, there, I was always around kids. There was never a time for, you know, during the summer we were in travel baseball or whatever, you know. So, so there was never a point in time where it's all like I just got to be at home for a couple months and 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 not deal with the the you know what's going on, but. You know, I remember uh, I was sitting 
you know, this is, I was 21 years old. This is, you know, you, you know, much years later and I, I'm hanging out with uh, some buddies I grew up with and one of them is a guy named Sammy and he looks at me and he's like, Hey man, sorry, I've been mad at you all these years. And I'm like, what? And I knew that we weren't friends from the time we were like six or seven. Like he just quit talking to me. And then, you know, we connected later in life as, you know, people do and you're hanging out or whatever. He was like, man, I was so pissed at you that your dad turned on Hogan. And I'm just baffled. (laughs) But that was the first time somebody had ever like carried a resentment long enough that they were like, yeah, I actually was mad at you when you were a kid. So, so I understand a couple of things. Number one, this was the eighties, which was a little bit more wholesome than we see in today's modern society, especially on television. So there wasn't a ton of six year olds staying up till 10 o'clock at night or, you know, or 11 o'clock at night to watch wrestling back in 83, 84, 85. Right. And I also went to private schools. So most of these kids, their parents were, attorneys and you know everything under the sun so they weren't necessarily your hardcore wrestling fans and my teachers certainly weren't so i did have some reprieve of it especially during that time the most exposure i really got to it on a daily basis would only be if i was with dad because like you know when he would come home and we would go to eat somewhere like you know there'd be a line of people waiting for afterwards and dad would be like wait till i get done with my meal and i'll sign autographs so when I would be with him, it's like everybody knew about it, and, and we caught hell from everybody, no matter the age. I mean, I heard it from adults. So, I, you know, ironically, the most crap I caught when I was really young was not from kids. It was from teachers and adults or, or baseball coaches or the other team's parents. It was, you know, it wasn't like the world I really lived in. It was when I got out into kind of a a bigger, broader society. And then, you know, but my brother was 10 years older. So he was, you know, a freshman in high school, um, and he did not handle that fame well. Um, And, and, you know, kind of, well, his way of approaching it, I just tried to become a smart aleck and just be the funniest person in the room so that, you know, hopefully – the, the, the biggest dude would beat up the other dudes because I made him laugh. You know, my brother, on the other hand, was a fighter, and he really tried to live up to that image that he thought he had to have being Mr. Wonderful Son during that time frame, especially in his popularity. Um, and I never had to experience that. So I'm so grateful I missed out on that need to, to live in dad's shadow from that way. Because by the time I got into middle school, you know, dad was still wrestling and, 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 and I caught heck for being a, uh, uh, I caught more heck for being a, uh, a famous kid, you know, or, you know, the, the, the son of a famous kid because they, you know, had a perceived perception or, uh, 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 of how I, you know, thought of myself or, you know, whatever that looks like. Right. So times it certainly was a lot more, um, adult based and it was certainly more when I was with dad. I mean, I can remember being, you know, in restaurants or even driving down the road and people figure out who, who they were, who he was and like screaming obscenities and, you know, but I've also been at the house when underwear showed up from some woman who, I, you know, was in love with them, and they sent it to her house, and me and my mom are sitting in the living room with the UPS box going, hmm, those are really small. Uh, you know, so, you know, uh, you know, I saw all of it, but as far as how it directly impacted me, it was more of who he was than things he did. But the things he did, I was so young that it, it really didn't affect me like it did my brother. My brother got into fistfights over it, 
you know, my brother was the guy that got in a fist fight in school when somebody would go up to him and start crap and, and, and say, you know, wrestling's fake, and then he would fight. So, mm-hmm. like, he already had that gene, you know, ready to roll, and, and, and I just had a different way of approaching it and, and had different exposure at a different age. So it was – by the time Dad got out, Dad was never – it's funny because, you know, Dad was very famous at one point, but he never really, like – like he loved walking out like and I asked him I was like what's one of the greatest feelings in the world and he's like you'll never understand what it was like to walk out to 70,000 plus people when they were expecting 10,000 and they hated me and they hated me more than they loved Hogan he's like I'll never replicate that feeling but he did not care about being famous he cared that he did a great job at what he was paid to do and that people hated him for it, which was his job. I mean, imagine if you had started a Twitter account and the only thing you got was dislikes, so much so that they liked disliking you. That's what my dad did for a living. Definitely. He and, uh, he and Roddy in, arguably had the most important match in the history of that company. And you, I know you probably know all of this and have heard it from a lot of people, but – they they were the ones with WrestleMania on their backs. You know, there was uh, there's these interviews that they did with fans outside the arena, and sure you had you know people saying, "Oh, I'm here to see Hulk win. I'm here to see Hulk win." But you got half of those folks were there to see Roddy and Mr. Wonderful get their butts kicked. That's that's the ticket seller was the heat that Roddy and Mr. Wonderful drew. And if that event had failed, we don't know what would have happened. Uh, Vince had so much writing on it. So, you know, it's, well, it's a talent knew what he that was he doing. had. Vince knew what he oh, was doing. Oh, my God. Like, and, and, and I, you know, it, it, just because he it may be a despicable person, does not mean he's not a genius in a couple of areas. That one in particular, his foresight, you know, he literally revolutionized and created pay-per-view in, in reality with that event. I, I, don't think, I don't think he's given the credit for how he's changed entertainment, not just, not just wrestling, but entertainment in general, boxing. Those headlines, UFC, all this doesn't happen or it doesn't look the way it does now without WrestleMania one. And if you really yep. go back and, and, and I've had the opportunity just because I get to talk to people, cause I would not have this time to do this, but if you really go back, they cut more heel promos than they ever did babyface promos. So when you say that they carried that, that match and that heat, they carried the weight of Hulk Hogan being, you know, uh, 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 you know, they belittled him, they made fun of him, you know, things that number one, you could never say or do today. Um, and, and, and two, uh, if you didn't have the personality and just the, the, like, they were so believable and let's just be honest, Roddy and dad were just playing, you know, uh, kind of method acting. That was who they were deep down, even if they were a little chilled that, that was part of their persona and kind of how they dealt with the world and protected their inner child. But those promos are absolutely priceless and they make them so despicable but they made it funny where they were still somewhat likable. And, and without a doubt in my mind, you know, Roddy's voice and dad's body carried that heat into that match and, and why it was so, uh, so believable, especially to a wider audience, because you're now trying to reach not your wrestling audience. You're trying to reach a worldwide audience. 
And I think what Dad did and what Roddy did with their promos, they were able to connect people emotionally to this match, which was so different than trying to connect with wrestling fans who already were bought into these characters. So I think you have to put in complete perspective of they changed entertainment and made it a worldwide uh, sport and taking it out of just those territories with that event alone. Definitely. And they, you know, those two, the energy that they had was unmatched, you know, and when they actually fought each other at Saturday night's main event, that, you know, I don't think one ever got a, a clean win over the other. It was always a double count out a double DQ where, when they did fight, man, it was something to see those two go at it. Mr. Yeah, Wonderful wrong. was definitely, and he was to me like the most believable guy that could have knocked out, knocked Hogan off his throne in that whole run and would have been best with the belt if they had gone that way. So um, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. If there's anything I can ever do for you, reach out. And uh, thanks for being on the show here today and, and best wishes on uh, you continuing to carry on his legacy and everything in your personal life. So thank you so much, Travis. Hey, appreciate you, brother. God bless, man. All right. Thank you so much, Brian. So, Travis, before we jump into the next call, Brian calls into the show on a weekly basis, and he has a very impressive collection of the LJN action figures. I have a few myself. I have to say your dad's LJN figure is one of my favorites because he was one of the first kind of body guys who really had this physique and his LJN figure is over the top with kind of the muscular ripples on there compared to some of the other ones. My question is, what is it like growing up having a father that has action figures and his face on all sorts of merchandise? Is that, that's got to be a little, a little different than most people's experiences growing up. So you would think that, and, and I know why you would think that, because you didn't grow up with it. But when you grow right. up with it, it's just normal day. I didn't think it was odd. You know, you know, people would ask me, what's it like to grow up with a wrestler? And my answer would be, what's it like to grow up with a, a, a plumber? Like, he was my dad. Just because my dad was a wrestler, he didn't bring it home, just like a plumber doesn't bring it home and talk to his son about plumbing, right? Like, it was a little bit different, obviously, because my dad was a really famous plumber. But, it, you know, <laughs> it, it just wasn't... It, it, it wasn't what most people would think it would be like. Did you have an action figure of your dad when you were young? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, it's funny. I had – okay, I got a better better version of the story. So, yes, I had all the wrestling figures and the wrestling game. But, dude, I was playing with Star Wars and – uh, you know, I had a Nintendo, and so, like, I didn't watch wrestling. I, I, I promise you, I have sat in the stands of a wrestling match twice in my life. Now, I've seen a ton of matches, but all of them were from the, you know, from the dressing room. Like, I never sat out there, especially, you know, even when I got older, like, I would come in and just hang out with my dad in the back or whomever was around that I knew and would talk to them for a few minutes and and, and things like that. So, you know, having those figures was just kind of like normal day, like, just like having dad's posters around the house and all the different T-shirts. It was just kind of, you know, that was just, that was just, you know, a Tuesday for me, right? So... Um, but I can remember this. Uh, so my son was, you know, like two years old and, um, I was headed out to dinner, um, uh, with a, with a friend that night. And so he had come over and we were going to go hang out. My wife was, 
um, giving my son a bath and, um, you know, I, I walked through, you know, the bathroom to give him a kiss and he's got his hand on dad's LGN figure because he's been sitting around the house for 30 years, you know, or, four, you know, at this point and or 20 years at this point. And he grabs it and he's like, Papa, and he dunks him in the water. And that was the only time that I thought about, oh, my God, my son's playing in the bathroom with my dad's figure. That was the only time I ever had one of those epiphany moments was like when he called his his he called the, the wrestler Papa. He didn't right. call it Mr. Wonderful, you know, and and that that one time my son did that. I, I'll never forget. And that was probably the first time I really connected like, oh, that is weird, you know. <laughs> It, and it sounds awkward to say, you know, yeah, my son was playing with his grandfather in the bathroom today. Um, but you know, it was it was definitely one of those moments that I that I that I remember, and, and it kind of sticks out to where I'm like, oh yeah, that 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 probably is not a normal thing that you know a child has a a wrestling figure of their grandfather. Right, it is a very cool thing. Do you know? Did your dad was he taken back or? impressed with all the merchandising that the WWF and Vince McMahon did? Did he collect anything or was he just kind no, of business he as usual? care less. You can care he less. care less. No. My dad was so not a mark in any sort of way. Not one single consonant or vowel would represent my father. He didn't believe or buy into any of it. Now, did he turn into Mr. Wonderful sometimes when he go out to dinner and, you know, get, get, get a little, you know, unhappy with the service he was receiving? Absolutely. But did he really buy into the gimmick that that was him? Absolutely not. So those te- – like, I never want self- – my, my dad wasn't a self-promoter. Like, his, he always said his work spoke for itself. Um, so the downside of that is he didn't really build some of the relationships, uh, you know, he should have, uh, the positive side of that is, you know, he kept to himself and was, was, was just, he was just my dad when he was at home. He didn't, you know, imagine this. And, 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 and I say this because there are wrestlers that have changed their names to their wrestling names. And I'm not saying that's wrong or right, but it is a little concerning that you've adopted the identity of somebody who you made up. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, to, for income, and then to carry that so far that you name your children after that. I'm not again. This is no judgment, but I'm glad my dad didn't expect me to be Mr. Wonderful. All he ever wanted me to be was the best version of Travis, and he always wanted me to be better than he was. And that doesn't mean being a wrestler, because he did that because he had to, you know. And and he was phenomenal at it. But make no mistake, Dad didn't do it to be famous. Dad did it to pay the bills, and that was just the perk that came with it. Very interesting stuff here. We're live with Travis Orndorff, son of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. If you want to connect with Travis, you can give us a call at 516-595-8295. Next up on the call list is our good friend from Totowa. It is Totowa Tom. Tom, good morning. You're live with Travis Orndorff. Good morning, Jumping Jim. You are doing such a great job today all by yourself. I just want to commend you. And it's a pleasure to talk to you, Travis. You Big as well, fan sir. Of Thank you. Big fan of Mr. Wonderful, of course. I mean, I have to agree with Babyface Brian. He was the only guy I thought that did have a shot at taking the belt off Hogan. I first saw Mr. Wonderful when he was with Rowdy Piper, and he had one of the first uh, matches against Hulk Hogan when he had the title, and in the beginning, it looked like Orndorff was scoring count-out wins over Hogan, and I thought for sure 
that if there was anyone to do it, it would have been Mr. Wonderful. He had the body. He had the robe, as I said. And he also had this intensity about him. And if I could just, you know, make a comparison, you know, maybe like Arn Anderson, you know, is the only one I can think of who went out there and just everything he did, a punch or a kick, it was 150% real what he was doing out there. Maybe even a bruiser Brody, but he was more maniacal bruiser. But you get what I'm saying. Like Orndorff, he just, he just made everything look like it had a purpose. And if I could compare him to somebody today, maybe Dean Ambrose or John Moxley, rather, from AEW. You know, he just goes into the ring, and he makes everything, you know, look 100% real. And I want to continue further as far as comparisons uh, with your father. If you think about it, he had a 20-year career in pro wrestling, maybe longer. And what we all remember him about is his run in the WWF. And his run was only five years. Think about that for a second. From 83 to 88, he set his mark, professional wrestling history, in a five-year journey. That's it, in the WWF. I compare him to Reggie Jackson of the New York Yankees, an icon in professional best baseball, right? He was only with the Yankees for five years. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he wore the Yankees cap. And I just had that similarity between Orndorff and Reggie. Such a short time. And I wish he had more time, but, you know, things are what they are. And finally, before I go, I have a question for you. Did your dad ever have any, um, uh, not remorse, but was he upset uh, over the Hulk Hogan versus uh, uh, Paul Wander- Paul match that was in Toronto that I think had about 60 or 70,000 people in attendance, but was never shown on pay-per-view or TV. I mean, it was at a time when WrestleMania was around. We could have seen it on pay-per-view. I remember as a kid never being able to see it until it came out on home video. I think there was a name of it. They call it maybe the you, big one or the event, something like that. The big And I just want to know one. what your so, feelings were on that. Time's up for Toto with Tom. So, Tom, I'll answer that for you very simply, and, and it'll make complete sense when I say it. Uh, but I'll ask you this. Do you know how many people they were expecting to attend? Tom, Tom hung up. See, Total oh. Tom asks his question, and then he gets off the phone to listen to the answer. So he won't respond. Got it, got to it. Okay. Know, but, yeah. Well, well I'm gonna, I'll, I'll say on to him real quick. So the answer is they were only expecting ten to 12,000 people to attend this event. So had they known they were going to have 73,000 people, I'm sure they would have approached this different, but the expectation was much lower uh, than than the end result. And, and so dad would have never been upset about, I mean, there was things that dad would bring up, you know, over the years. And, and, and you know, the, the problem would be is I'd get both sides of it. So one day he would be maybe mad at Vince and the next day he would be, you know, he'd feel bad about what happened with Vince. So, you know, I've always leaned towards what he said when he was a little more uh, vulnerable than when he was angry. Um, but, you know, what I would say is the things that my dad would bring up every once in a while would be an interaction or something somebody did. But after he got, you know, after his last injury in 2000, you know, he might do an interview and, you know, go into gimmick mode because he knew he was a, you know, he was a bad man, right? So so there's no question, you know, could he fight and beat up everybody? You know, absolutely, I think. Um, 
But, you know, as he got older, a lot of those beefs went away because I think he appreciated and, and was able to reminisce on, on, on what he accomplished and the people he accomplished with. Absolutely. This is Tommy again, and, and Jay, thank you very much for holding it down. I'm a little under the weather, so I'm not trying to talk that much. But one thing I want to bring up was my favorite, one of my fa- probably my favorite Paul Orndorff match was Saturday night's main event when it was Hulk Hogan against Paul Orndorff in a steel cage match. Now, you go back and watch this now, how impressive it is. I mean, they literally both hit the ground at the same time. I mean, it, it, if one guy would have slipped or one guy would have went down, I mean, the way they did the angles, I mean, they could have really, you know, screwed up that finish. But it, it, I mean, I know back then it was taped, but still, I mean, that was so perfect, the timing of Hogan and Orndorff falling down at the same time. So I want to get your thoughts on that. And then also, quick question that I just, I just thought of. When Hulk Hogan was doing, when they had the, remember the Hulk Hogan workout video that they had? I always found it weird as a kid that it was Paul Orndorff doing the commercial for Hulk Hogan's video and not Hulk Hogan itself. So do you know the reason behind that and also your thoughts on that, that still cage match? So I'll start with the, the workout. I get that question a lot. Why, why did dad, um, why was the dad the one promoting it? And I have no clue. I have zero clue. Dad just, you know, in fact, I did remember saying, I'm like, I remember asking it, you know, uh, one time. And I just didn't ask Dad a lot about that stuff, but he would tell me if I asked. But every once in a while, I was like, why did you end up doing that? He was like, I got paid X amount of dollars. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that was his answer. So, you know, when people ask why I did it, they paid him for it. Um, Why did Vince decide him to do that? Dad always said because – who would you buy a workout set from a, a fat bald guy or Mr. Wonderful? <laughs> so then uh, to, to the second question, um, I, this is just my opinion. And, and I try to have the perspective of any event, you know, and, and, and try to be completely impartial. Obviously I'm never going to be, but I personally, that moment and the fact that they pulled that off with the ability to then do a replay for you, because they could have not played the replay and you would have never known, but it was so accurate, they could do a replay. So when people say, oh, they did it so great, well, if you're a TV, and this is just my personal opinion, I could be wrong, right? But if I'm a TV director, if that's a half inch off and it looks like I can't blend that together, then I'm not going to reshow the replay. But I don't know how they did it. I really don't. I know they had a, you know, a, 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 a countdown. But, again, what I would say about Dad and Terry, and, and again, my opinion, I think Dad brought more out of Terry or Hulk Hogan than any other wrestler did. I think Hulk Hogan had to pull a lot of out of other people with his charisma. But – I, I always thought Dad brought um, uh, Hulk Hogan back to those Hiro Matsuda training days, and when those two went at it, it was special. They both knew how to dance, Absolutely. and they specifically knew how to dance together. You can't dance without a good partner. And in spite of the animosity, which, by the way, made those wrestling matches great. So, you know, having the title on Hogan and Dad a little pissed off that he didn't get the title made Dad go in there and be that much more intense. To, to, you know, so it created, a, you know, I, it, it almost spurred even more of a, a of an organic rivalry. 
So, uh, but I, I think it the you know when if those two were behind closed doors, irregardless of what was going on in life and whatever, those two would have hugged each other in a heartbeat. They were brothers. You know, you don't get along with all your brothers. You just don't. You don't. You're not going to be best friends with them either. You know, that's 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 delusional. But they were committed to this art. And when, when, and you gotta know they main evented more, they main evented 11 times. So dad main evented with Hulk, I believe five times more than any other wrestler. And in that period of time, and, and you know, their, their relationship, their camaraderie, um, I think even their roots, you know, Tampa, uh, those Tampa roots and, 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 uh, you know, the, 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 the Bill Watts and all the guys, and, and they spent years together in Japan. People forget that. Pri- you know, prior to, you know, 84 and 85, they were wrestling together in Japan as a tag team in 81, 82. Um, I've heard some really funny ribbing stories about that t- those times back then between Dad and Terry. So you got to know they had a really long relationship leading up to that period of time, and they had a background together. And, and I think their commitment level to each other and to the finished product was no greater than when they worked together other than when they, you know, you throw Roddy in the mix, the three of them were committed and, and, you know, daddy loved, daddy loved Roddy, um, uh, as if, as if he was his own brother. So, um, those relationships were really forged years before what you see in WWF when they were making 50 bucks a night, riding from town to town or making enough money in Japan to be able to come back to the U S so they could even go back, you know, and, and afford to work another territory. And, and that type of relationship and really growing up with those, you know, you know, bare knuckle, like really, you know, scratching by and building a family and a career. I don't think you can history they had together. Um, when you see these wrestling matches today, they don't have a background together. They don't have a relationship. They didn't go to the same wrestling school. They don't think the same way. It was just different. And I, you can't replicate their history, which then led up to that one moment. But look at how much time they had together to build that. So that wasn't something that happened overnight or by accident. I, I just believe that they were so in tune with each other because of the quality of the work and their background that that was the product. And, and without question, in my mind, I, I know Hulk Hogan, there was other matches that were more popular. But Dad's matches with Hogan were Hogan's best, period. Yeah, I was I was a huge, huge, huge fan of Hogan and Orndorff matches. We have one last call real quick before we end the show, but I just want to follow up real quick on what we're talking about Hulk Hogan. Now, was there heat during the latter years of their life? Because it, it looked as though they might have rectified stuff at the Hall of Fame when Orndorff got inducted into the Hall of Fame with Hogan. Uh, did, did, were they okay in, in final years with each other? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I, you know, the, See, here's the thing. You got to know that if you grew up in the, and don't misunderstand, I didn't grow up in the business. I don't, I, I don't want to give some, you know, delusions of grandeur that I somehow know wrestling. I, I, I'm just a wrestler's kid, right? I, I can only tell you what my dad said, and I'm, 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 a, I'm a pretty perceptive person, so I've had the opportunity to talk to tons of them and be around them, both as a child and then as, you know, as a young adult and now as a adult who ended up taking care of my own father, right? So these relationships have evolved uh i still you know text brian blair and we keep in touch and you know things things of that nature but you just gotta know these guys it's just different if if you if you grew up in it you you would know they just are 
they're just cut different. It's just cut from a different cloth. I don't even know how else to expand. I think that's I think that's a very good way to say it. We're going to jump into our last call before it's time to say uh, goodbye to Travis. Our next caller is Mike from the New Jersey area. Mike, good morning. You're alive with the son of Paul Orndorff, Mr. Travis Orndorff. Uh, good morning, Travis. How are you? Thanks for taking the Good morning, Jay. Good morning, Tommy. Hope you're feeling well, sir. Uh, Travis, uh, just wanted to, uh, you know, speak about your father's, you know, great career. And, um, you know, obviously, I think one of the things that goes without saying is working with Jerry Lawler early in his career, your father had the premier pile driver in all of professional wrestling. All due respect to Mr. Lawler. Um, Your father really, really kind of drove home that move as a finisher uh, so we, you know, as a fan, just want to, you know, express that, you know, I, when I think pile driver, I do think Mr. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And here's what I would tell you. I've never, I, I, I didn't know that people just called it a pile driver. I always called it a leaping pile driver. I never thought anybody's pile driver was even close to what dads did. I thought they were Not- two different moves. In my whole – like, I'm not even joking. I remember – because, you know, social media, I didn't hear what people said about Jerry Lawler. I wasn't reading Pro Wrestling Illustrated when I was a kid, but I always called dads a leaping pile driver. And then I remember, like, in the mid-'90s, somebody's like, pile driver, and they started telling me other people to do it. And I'm like, that's not the same move. I don't care what you think. <laughs> I'm like, dad got two feet off the ground. That dude literally – he turned him around to the camera angle – then bent his knees after he held them there for 32 seconds because I checked the YouTube, and then he leaped in the air. And you would see if you had the angle, the right angle from the camera, you would see his butt and his hips and his knees, not always his feet, but his knees were at least above the second rope, which means when he was holding that dude and he leaped, he basically put his legs straight out and then came down from that height. Now that is not the same as falling on your butt with a pile driver. I'm sorry. And, and, and dad had the leg strength and the upper body strength that, that nobody else really had at that period of time to be able to perform that. And going back to, you know, we're doing a little thing uh, to raise uh, awareness around mental health on Instagram. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to do a, a, a thousand Hindu squats in 21 days. And dad used to do 1,500 of those um, a set without stopping. And he would actually, when he would come up, which if you, you know, you do it, you put your arms out, you put them back, and then you go down, you stand on the tips of your toes, and then your heels hit when you come to the top. And then he would jump forward, and then he would jump back and do it again. And he could do 1,500 of those without stopping. His leg strength was truly ungodly. Even when he just walked through the house, it sounded like somebody was herding cattle. You know, it was, you know, it was tree, he had tree trunks for legs. And he was that strong in his legs. He did legs at least twice a week, at least. Every time he was in the gym, I saw him do leg extensions to, to warm up. So he, his, his, his leaping pile driver, to me, is not comparable to any other finishing move that I've seen, whether it be the tombstone or the other, because of the athleticism he displayed each and every time he did it. He didn't do it just that one time. It was every time, whether he was holding 305-pound Hogan or 325 or whatever he was, or, you know, he was, you know, carrying some 185-pound jobber. 
Absolutely. I mean, as a, as a child, uh, I was around that, you know, three, four, five. Every time I saw your father hit the pile driver, I was almost sure he had absolutely crippled the man because he made that move look so good. Well, ironically, and, the only person he ever crippled with a pile driver was himself. <laughs> well, um, you know, with uh, also one of the things, Travis, I don't necessarily think necessarily people realize, and maybe you can help me here, is here's a list of some of the names that your father was a tag team partner of, whether it was a one-off or obviously everyone knows about Piper and things like that. But Bruno Sammartino, um, Stunning Steve Austin, the Junkyard Dog, um, you know, worked house shows with a guy named Mean Mark that went on to become The Undertaker. And then uh, once his in-ring career uh, wound down, I know that he was involved in the power plant and the training of people and working in the WCW office. Um, did he ever – did he enjoy that work and did he enjoy being a trainer? Because to your point, with his physical attributes, you know, he's the kind of guy that you would want to see training people at the WCW power plant. Uh, did he enjoy that? Did he, you know, was that a good time in his life uh, post-full-time so, wrestling? Yeah, for sure. So let me throw a couple other people he tagged team in with. He tagged team with Andre the Giant. Um, he tagged team with Hulk Hogan. Um, and that was prior to WWF. Uh, he tagged team with Rick Rude. Obviously, him and Rick Rude and Steve were very, very close friends and hunting buddies. It's funny because when they would mm-hmm. go wrestling, like it's like they would use that as an excuse to go hunting that weekend when they would be <laughs> tag teaming. Um, and, and and so yeah, he ha- he had those he 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 tag team with several people. Um, so funny, he went to college obviously, um, and uh, actually when my when my dad was in high school when he graduated from high school, my mom was pregnant, so she finished her you know GED and and finished high school. But mom was pregnant, so you know dad's down there and goes to the homeroom to get his diploma, and the pa- the the principal comes in and goes, "Where's your wife at?" And my mom comes over and he. He, he hands my mom the diploma and says, you've earned this. <laughs> so, you know, he went to college. Uh, I'm not sure how much work he did, but he was a semester away from graduating. And guess what he was going to school for? To be a coach. Um, mm. So I will tell you, and, and, you know, again, I'm talking to people uh, uh, that love my dad's work. From my perspective, of all the things my father ever did, I never saw him have more joy and more fulfillment and more purpose than when he was helping other people. And that's the same when he was really famous and he was doing, you know, the Special Olympics and, you know, doing, you know, and, and, and supporting charities or going out and giving his time to the military or whatever that was. Um, but when he became a trainer, those guys were like his kids. Like Chuck Palumbo was over at the house. It felt like every other weekend, you know, that wasn't, you know, like when I would go up there to meet him for lunch, he was hard as hell on them. Right. But they were like family to him and he treated them that way. And and you have to know my dad, like I, I hated going to the gym with him. It was unbearable. Like you wouldn't be able to walk or move for seven days. Guaranteed. (laughs) Like no, not no nine year old needs to go to the chiropractor because they did, uh, you know, uh, 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 deadlifts. Um, but you know, the, you know, I'm at the pediatrician going, my hips are out. Um, going to the gym with dad would be, was, was unbearably hard. You know, it was always one more rep, you know, unless you had been working out for six months, 
a normal workout with my dad would really, really hurt you. Um, and that was the only speed he knew. So when he found people that, A, would listen to him and respect him and then do what he said, you got his entire heart, everything that came with it. That meant you got the love, the support, as well as the ass-kicking. You know, dad would share his faith. He would talk about his family. He would, you know, he would introduce me to them and talk about me going to private schools when I was growing up so that when they had kids, they considered that. So for me, I, I never, if dad, and this is just my opinion, because I was thinking about this earlier, had dad gone to Vince back in the, the, the late eighties and said he was hurt. I not only think dad would, uh, Vince would have brought him back. But I believe that would have been the main trainer or potentially could have been the main trainer for, for, for WWF for years to come. Um, it, that, to me, as great a wrestler as he was, as tense as he was, and as much as he loved it and all that, he, booked, he got more joy, joy, not, you know, fulfillment, which are two different things because obviously the finances came together. But he got more joy out of seeing those kids headline than he did headlining himself. It's funny because if you look nowadays, to your point, Travis, it's like you would almost think that Mr. Wonderful would be a shoe-in for the head trainer as, at the Performance Center, just, you know, I mean, based on all of his experience. Uh, and, and, you know, I, you know, I forgot to mention it earlier, your father worked many a time limit draw with Ric Flair. So your father mm-hmm. is a, on that list of people that, uh, you know, in the territory days, you know, you needed a top guy to work with Flair, go 60 minutes. That was your dad. Well, and I'll tell you, um, I got to sit with Jerry Jarrett a couple back at StarCast for, you know, half an hour. And number one, I always wondered where my dad got his hairdo from, you know, the part down the middle. Always, always. I'd never seen that in my entire life. And then I saw a picture of Jerry Jarrett in 1974. My dad met him, and damn it, if he didn't have that haircut. And Jerry, uh, I looked at Jerry, I was like, oh, my God, that's where my dad got his haircut from. But, you know, Jerry uh, was down in, I think they were down in Florida, and dad was working for Bill Watts. And dad was a, you know, middle card, you know, and Jerry, you know, pulled, pulled Bill aside and was like, the best talent you have here, you've got on the middle card. And Bill pulls him aside and says, Paul, tonight's your night. I need you to give me something. And if you don't, you're done, which is how my dad would work. But you put him under pressure. He was motivated and he went out there and tore it up. And then that was the, you know, kind of the beginning of the uh, beginning of the journey. Uh, and, and, and on a funny note, I was thinking about, you know, they asked about my birthday. So just, so you know, my dad left the hospital to go win the title from Ernie Ladd. So, you know, that was that was my first experience in wrestling was my dad when I was born left the hospital to go win the NWA Heavyweight Championship. That's and right awesome. there you well, dropped the name so that kind of shows that your father spanned a very interesting period of time where he was able to work with, you know, the Big Cat and Andre and Hulk and Rick, but also was able to get in there with the younger guys, uh, you know, in that second WCW run, you know, uh, with the team, with you know, the pretty wonderful team. You know, I was new to WCW at that time, and, you know, that was one of the first things I said. I said, I kind of remember, I, you know, I certainly remembered your father from my younger WWF days. I certainly recognized Paul Roma, but I kind of, you know, just enjoyed that tag team because, you know, any time that I saw someone that I grew up watching, you know, still, you know, in great shape doing the, doing their thing, you know, it always kind of made me smile. 
Yeah, and, and um, what's funny, you know, you, you mentioned that. So Dad wrestled for, you know, I, I'm going to say his debut was technically 76, um, but he'd done some mid-card as he was training. And so he had a he had a, a total uh, career of 24 years, 25 years. And, um, you know, he, wherever he went, you know, he headlined at some point, and, you know, worked with Arn Anderson and, and uh, down the line. But, again, I want to kind of go back to the things that I remember my dad being the most proud of, and, and it's, you mentioned that, when he went to WCW, um, I could probably name seven people he identified as talent, either helped them get signed with WCW or – ended up helping them go to New York or he took friends of his that came to him and he gave them advice about what to do about furthering their career. You know, Steve Austin being one of them, dad, dad and him had that conversation about New York. Dad and him had like all those things and those relationships, all those wrestlers you see during that period of time, the impact he had on those people's lives. I still get messages today from these individuals going, your dad did X, Y, and Z. It changed my life. And I hear that from people that were 16 when they met him and they started working out and, you know, wanted, you know, just, just seeing my dad or they met him and they got great advice or wrestlers that got, you know, insightful wisdom about their careers so they didn't make the same mistakes my dad did. And again, those are the things to me, I mean, he loved all his matches and attempting his body of work. But at the end of the day, my dad was proud of those relationships and the people he helped. That's awesome, man. And again, thank you so much for, coming on today and talking about your dad. And, again, he was one of my favorites growing up as a kid. I know Jay's as well. Real quickly before you go, Travis, let the listeners out there know where they can find you on all uh, social media platforms. For sure. So uh, we got Mr. Wonderful Official uh, for our Instagram page, and that's Mr. and it's the number one, uh, Durful, you know, like the back of his tights. Uh, we are on Twitter at PAU1 Orndorff. Um, you know, we've got a, a YouTube page with, um, I think we're at 2000 hours of, or a thousand hours of total, uh, uh, promos and matches and, you know, things that we've collected, we've been archiving over the year before we started to really ask people to come join and see what we got. Um, and, and, uh, we've got, uh, some kind of wonderful as a podcast. We did four episodes right at the end and beginning of the year. And then, um, I actually had some health problems. I had to take a step step away, and, and so we've, we've contended with social media pages, but I had to take a little step back and prioritize my health and get some things fixed. And um, so, you know, we've already set up our next two uh, recordings. Um, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to, to get some of these people because when we do have that conversation, it may only be an hour long, but there's probably eight to ten hours of conversation prior to. It's not like I just bring them on and ask them questions because we're really digging into some of the trauma um, and experiences they had uh, that, you know, y- you wouldn't know to ask that question because it would have never crossed your mind. And if I asked you that question, you wouldn't understand where I was coming from. Um, but, you know, it, most most kids, you know, uh, most kids don't know what a soma is when they're 14, you know. So, you know, there was just exposure to drugs and, 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 and Oxycontin and, and, and all these different things that we had access to that most people don't because of the lifestyle, you know, our, our parents led. So you, you really dig into a lot of that. So uh, some kind of wonderful, uh, and it is, you know, some kind of number wonderful and uh, we're starting to record. Um, I, I, I'm become like a family with uh, Big Boss Man's daughter Lacey, 
And uh, so Lacey and I are going to be recording, and we've been talking a lot about what uh, she wants to share about her, her father and, and her upbringing. And then we've got a couple other people lined up, and then we're going to continue. So the plan is to start recording twice a month um, in November, uh, Lord willing, and uh, actually uh, record once this month before the end of the month. So that's where we're at online. We continue to, to build. Um, we do have paullondorf.com that will take you to um, our link tree of all of our different um, you know, websites, whether it be YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever else. Um, so, yeah, we're out there. We're showing Dad's videos. You know, we just launched a couple of different things. You know, uh, Pro Wrestling Tees has been a great partner uh, working with us on uh, some new T-shirts that people have been requesting. So we've got some new Mr. Wonderful T-shirts out there. Um, you know, we've got uh, some other merchandising deals coming for his estate um, with, uh, you know, some toys and cards and the whole nine yards of people, things that people have, have really wanted. And then I made a deal with somebody that, um, they promised me they would uh, come up with a pair of flip-flops, Mr. Wonderful flip-flops. Um, I won't say what we're going to call them yet, but just know those are coming as well as a, a, as a reference to his fighting days. You call, you call them the ass kickers. I did. I did tell you that. Did I tell you that? <laughs> no, but I, I'm guessing that's the name of them. That's, that's, that was it. That's it. That was, you, you nailed it. <laughs> ass kicking flip-flops. <laughs> that is awesome. That's so good. Travis, uh, we cannot thank you enough, brother, for taking time out of your day to come on, uh, answer some phone calls, and just uh, take us down uh, memory lane about your dad, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. He had a tremendous career. He impacted all of us. It's, I don't know if you realize it, but there are, there's a whole generation of people walking around that your dad impacted, and the fact that you are doing everything to keep his memory alive and to kind of keep uh, those feelings alive in this generation is just amazing brother. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for coming on. This was a tremendous hour of podcast. I texted Tommy, you definitely inherited the gift of gab from your dad. Cause you are an interesting <laughs> talker, my friend. And I am immediately going to go subscribe to your podcast. I, I just can't get enough of you. Thank you again for this morning. It was uh, it was a real treat. Hey, thank you so much. I didn't inherit his hair. I absolutely did not inherit his muscle, <laughs> but I, I got, I got his mouth. Um, I got a larger vocabulary because he put me in private school, and I got his intensity. So, um, you know, those those three things, you know, I, people know I'll run through a brick wall. The problem is I'll run through it, and you'll be like, wait, I didn't need you to go there. And uh, the building's falling down at that point. So, yeah, we are, we are definitely uh, cut from the same cloth. And I, I don't know if you got a chance to see, but if you get a chance – um, so we were having some fun with the uh, Hindu squat challenge. I, I hope I'm not killing any more time, but uh, I, sh- I, showed, I shot a promo with my wife, um, and I've got on uh, my Adidas red tracksuit, and uh, I-, I show my wife uh, how to uh, do Hindu squats in the gym. So li- a little bit of a throwback to Dad's you know, uh, gym workout, and uh, if you get a chance to watch it, um, I'll tell you that the uh, main character is a guy named Little Wonderful. He's wearing a red track suit in the gym, and, and he's having to show his this woman who's infatuated with him how, how to do a proper squat. So if you get a chance, go check out the video. I think it's pretty funny. And, uh, you know, I actually was listening to it, and I was like, ooh, I think I heard my dad's voice for a second there. <laughs> Uh, I, I bet you did. They, they do say that all of us kind of turn into our parents at one point or another. 
Uh, and that's not oh, a bad dude, thing. I wear, socks with, life. I wear socks with flip-flops. I was telling my wife this. I was like, oh, my God, I wear the same pants he had. <laughs> I'm like, I have, like, his were a little bit different, but I, I bought two pairs. I'm like, these are so comfortable. I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly what my dad started wearing <laughs> when he was in his 40s. What has happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, Travis, man, thank you so much again for coming on. We look forward to talking again in the future. Hey, God bless, guys. Y'all do well. Thanks. Thank you so much, and uh, take care. All right, you too. Thanks so much. Awesome episode today. Awesome. What a fantastic episode. Uh, Just a a unique perspective on this golden era of wrestling that we all love. Kind of an inside, behind the the scenes type perspective. And it's just kind of refreshing to hear somebody talk about um, that side of the business. And you can tell he has a lot of respect for his dad and he's carrying on his memory. Fantastic guest, Tommy. Thank you for booking that one. Yeah, man. You know what? I, I, I enjoyed that so much, Jay. I think we're going to have to do more of these type of episodes where we bring on a son or daughter of a, of, of a former, you know, fallen wrestling superstar in, in, the, in, the, in the future. Because I, I really enjoyed that, and I think that we should do many more of those in the future. I would 100% be on board with that. Awesome, man. So, uh, you know, I, I originally I texted you about next week's episode. I'm going to hold off on sharing that. Let me work on, on that idea. Maybe we can get uh, another um, son or daughter of a former wrestler on next week because I, I really enjoyed that. It's, it's effective coming from a family member. So let me work on that first. Give me a couple of days to work on that. But, uh, yeah, man, sorry I didn't talk as much as I usually do. A um, little, uh, little under the weather. It's been a lot better than I was yesterday, though. But Mama Fierro is working the store today at the Wrestling Collector, Jay, just so you know. I know you, and you always want to know when Mama Fierro's uh, running shop at the Wrestling Collector. She will be there today. Is so she, uh, I'm, I'm working from home today. Is she slinging pasta salad on the side or just all the wrestling merch? <laughs> you, never, you, you never know, man. But I, I'm just trying to get some rest because this Saturday we have our Halloween party at the Wrestling Collector. So I want to make sure I'm feeling okay for that. Again, it's this Saturday the Wrestling Collector on Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey. The actual Halloween party will be from 2 to 7 o'clock. So from 2 to 4, we're going to do some kids' activities, painting pumpkins, and we'll do a Halloween costume contest. You can dress up as your favorite pro wrestler. And then from 4 to 7, joining us there live for a meet and greet and the party will be WWE Legends, Doink the Clown. Doink the Clown is Ray Apollo who was the last doink from 94 and 95 for WWF. And joining him will be the original Dink the Clown, who is Tiger Jackson, who is also the Macho Midget. So uh, they will be there at the Wrestling Collector, a rare appearance, uh, having Dink and Doink together. Uh, They'll be there celebrating the Halloween party at the Wrestling Collector this weekend. So it should be a lot of fun. And then also, if, uh, if you don't live in the area and you would like to get an autographed picture of either Doink Dink or of them combined uh, later this afternoon on our website, 80swrestlingcon.com. We're going to have fun there. So if you want to get a personalized autographed picture, you can do that as well. Man, that's going to be a good, that's going to be a good time. I'm sure people are going to turn out uh, for that. I was just thinking as you're saying this, uh, the gentleman that played uh, Tiger Jackson and Dink the Clown and Macho and, and uh, among other characters he was a mainstay in this like early nineties, late eighties. 
he's one of the little uh, people that really made an impact in that wrestling scene. And so to have him, he really is a, a legend of the ring. Absolutely, man. And it's the first time I've ever had all, all these years I've been promoting shows and never had them before. So I'm excited to have them. Again, it's this Saturday. Uh, Doink and Dink will be appearing at the shop from 4 to 7 p.m. Again, it's the Wrestling Collector on Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey. And then 2, for, two to 4 p.m., bring the little ones. We're going to do a, a Halloween pumpkin painting contest. We're going to give out some goodie bags, some prize, some door prizes. going to do a Halloween costume contest. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, again, it's this Saturday at the Wrestling Collector. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to uh, just rest up so I'm good for this weekend, my man. Don't give anything away, but will, uh, will you be in costume on that day? Yeah, I will, I will. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give it away, man. This, this is what I'm going to do, Jay. So I'm actually renting a pair of stilts, uh, like six-foot stilts. And I'm going to be word. jumping Jay oh, at, the Halloween, uh, at the Halloween party. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, quick wit. Listen, under the weather, but quick wit it. Fast wit this morning. Always, um, brother. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> Hey man, but uh, I'll I'll shoot you. I'll, I'll text you some pictures of the of the party this weekend. I know you uh, you look forward to seeing that stuff. So uh, hopefully we get some good uh, Halloween costumes as far as the kids and adults come in. Last year we had someone come in as a keen, which was amazing. Uh, I know Dusty Rhodes was there, so uh, we, might, we might get some fun ones. Last year we had the Boogeyman uh, at our Halloween party. This year it's right. going and Dink. So again, this this Saturday, uh, the Wrestling Collector in Stockholm, New Jersey. But, Jay, until then, man, I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, you, you got any big plans this weekend other than working at your uh, place? Or uh, We actually have a, uh, a thing going on in a nearby zoo called the Boo at the Zoo, where local businesses go and kind of set up a table, and kids will come to the zoo in costume and go trick-or-treating. So my wife and I will be there with our kids representing my business. And so we got Boo at the Zoo on Saturday. It's also my son's 14th birthday this weekend so we'll be celebrating him other than that nice. it's a nice happy fall. birthday a big weekend yeah. for you then. Uh, it's going to be a big weekend so i'll pass on uh your birthday wishes to him it's going to be a nice fall weekend here in minnesota please man and, and then let me really quickly before we get off let me let me uh ask you that same question are you planning on dressing up this weekend at boo at the zoo you know, I won't dress up for Boo at the zoo, but I'm already thinking ahead to Halloween, taking the kids trick-or-treating. What am I going to be? I got the bald head so I could easily go King Kong Bundy, maybe grow a goatee, go Stone Cold. Lots of options. How about Boris Dukov? Listen, I don't know if I'm quite that legendary status to pull off uh, Boris Dukov. <laughs> Especially not in that area. Especially not in that area. You can, you, you, you can walk down the street as Stone Cold Steve Austin or the other guy, you walk, you walk down the street as Boris Zukov, man, you're going to have to sign autographs. Exactly. Non-stop. That's the main eventer well, in this area. That's, that's top of the line. He, he sure is, man. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I hope you have a great weekend. Hope everyone at home has a great weekend. And I'm going to work on a, another interesting episode for next week right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.